So normally when we think about the Christmas story, the story of the birth of Jesus, we think about Luke chapter 2 or Matthew chapter 2. But this December, we'll be looking at what the minor prophets have to say about the birth of Jesus. Now that might be surprising. You know, I've been here for 19 years and you can only get so creative with Christmas messages. I've tried to be creative, but uh, lately I've just said, I'm just going to do Christmas according to Matthew or according to Luke or Isaiah. Here it is, the Minor Prophets, which probably is a bit more obscure, but uh, that's what we're going to be doing. And specifically, we'll be in Hosea, Micah, and today, Malachi. So Hosea 11, verse 1, it's quoted in Matthew chapter 2, out of Egypt I called my son. Micah 5.2, which is probably the most familiar of these verses, it's quoted also in Matthew 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. And as I said, today we're in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 is the specific verse I want to look at. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So all three of these verses that we find in the Minor Prophets, they're quoted in the New Testament, and they're connected with the birth of Jesus. So, as I said, we're going to be in the book of Malachi this morning, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Now, probably when it comes to biblical knowledge, the minor prophets are probably on the lower end of what uh, we're knowledgeable about. Uh, The book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, it was written after the construction of the second temple. Uh, That would have been around 516 B.C., so around 500 years before the birth of Jesus. Uh, You might not know the history of Israel and why there was a second temple. Eventually, after Solomon's reign, the nation of Israel was divided into two parts, two kingdoms. There was a northern part known as Israel or sometimes called Ephraim. Then there was the southern part where Jerusalem was, and that was known as Judah. And eventually, the Babylonians came and they conquered the people of Judah. They destroyed the city of Jerusalem and the temple, the temple that had been built by Solomon many years before. And they were, many of the people were taken by the Babylonians into exile. And then the Babylonians were defeated by the Persians, and the Persians let the people of Judah return to their land. And this time period is is known as the post-exilic period. After the exile, the people return. You read of this in Ezra and Nehemiah. They they reconstruct the, the, uh, the city walls of Jerusalem, the temple. And so Malachi was written after the construction of the second temple, the rebuilt temple. And this time period in which the prophet Malachi lived was a time when the people of Judah were disillusioned. If you go back to chapter 2, verse 17, the people are, and this 
is them sarcastically speaking. They say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. So again, that's a sarcastic statement. Uh, They're also asking, where is the God of justice? So as I said, the people of Judah, they at this time are under the control of, of Persia. They don't have a king. And it seemed like God had let them down. They knew the promise of Haggai 2 verse 9, which was a promise concerning the second temple. That verse says, the latter glory of this house, this temple, shall be greater than the former. So it would be more glorious than Solomon's temple. But when they looked at the temple that they had built, it was nowhere near as glorious as the first temple. And so they're asking, well, where is God? Why isn't he doing what he said he'd do? They're feeling let down. They're feeling disillusioned. And maybe today you're asking similar questions. Where is God? In this world, in my life, where is the God of justice? So as I said, we're going to be in mainly Malachi 3 verse 1. And I want to make a few observations about this verse before we go any further. The first is, we notice that there is someone speaking in this verse. Who is the speaker? Who is saying these words? If you look at the end of the verse, says who? The Lord of hosts. So the Lord of hosts is the one who is speaking in this verse. Notice also that the word behold is used twice. Behold. This is a word I don't think people use nowadays, though the ESV retains it in their translation. Most people don't use the word behold. But when you say behold, you normally want someone to, to listen. You know, I might do this with my kids. If I, if I, if I know that normally they would just ignore me, I might, I might not say behold, but I'll say pay attention to this. Make sure you're listening to me right now because I want you to hear what I'm about to say. So this is sort of what, what God is doing here in, in this verse. Behold. He uses that word twice. He's, he's about to say something that he knows they'll want to hear. Behold. Also, notice that the temple is mentioned. We'll get to this in a moment, but it says the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. So remember a lot of their disillusionment had to do with their disappointment about the temple that they had rebuilt. So in this verse, the temple is mentioned. Also, there are two uh, two messengers who are mentioned. Uh, They're said to be coming in the future. And then finally, Notice the word me at near the start of the verse. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Now, who is me? Well, who is speaking? We already saw that the Lord of hosts is speaking. So the first messenger here will prepare the way before the Lord of hosts. 
And in our English Bibles, when we see that word Lord in all capital letters, later it comes and it's not all in capital letters, but here at the end of the verse, uh, sorry, before it's not in all capital letters, and the Lord whom you seek, that's not in all caps, but later on with the Lord of hosts, it is. And whenever you see that in uh, the Old Testament, uh, in the English translations, uh, that refers to the personal name of God. Yahweh, or sometimes referred to as Jehovah. We're talking about God. And so, he will prepare the way before me, says Yahweh of hosts. Lord, the Lord of hosts. So two messengers are mentioned in this verse. And who are these two messengers? Well, if we only had the book of Malachi, it would be very difficult to answer that question. Some people thought that the first messenger would be Elijah. And that's based on Malachi 4, verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And in the Gospels, this is, is mentioned, that people in that day believed that Elijah would first come. We'll see what Jesus says about that in a moment. So there was some confusion about uh, this, this prophecy of this first messenger, who he would be. And before we turn to the New Testament, because it does give us the answer to this question, or these two questions, who are the two messengers, we should look at Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. And these... Verses are connected with Malachi 3 in the New Testament. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So keep that passage in mind, especially a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Both verses, this verse and Malachi 3.1, talk about preparing the way of the Lord. But let's go to Mark's gospel, chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. And Mark begins his gospel by saying, the beginning of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then he goes to a prophecy, and he says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, uh, but he also here quotes Malachi. Uh, probably he only mentions Isaiah because Isaiah is the more prominent prophet. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. So that's Malachi 3.1. And then Isaiah 40 verse 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And then Mark says John appeared. That would be John the Baptist. 
baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So a mixed quotation here. Malachi 3.1 and Isaiah 40 verse 3. Both of those, as I said, both of those verses speak about preparing the way of the Lord. A couple of other verses. Luke chapter 1. Verse 76. This is uh, Zacharias speaking, the father of, of John. He says, And you, child referring to John, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you, will be go, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. And then finally, Matthew chapter 11 and verses 11 through 14. And this is Jesus speaking. Actually, maybe I should mention verse 10. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. And so Jesus is saying, uh, you were looking for Elijah, as, as Malachi talked about, but really, that wasn't talking about literally Elijah. It was talking about someone else, and that someone else is, is John. And the Gospels present John as preparing the way before Jesus. He would get ready, people ready for the coming of the Christ. He would baptize people with a baptism of repentance. So what the Gospels clearly tell us is that the first messenger in Malachi 3.1, he is John the Baptist, and the second messenger is Jesus. So let's, let's read that verse again, Malachi 3.1. Behold, I send my messenger, John the Baptist, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek, this is Jesus, will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant, Jesus, in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So, John the Baptist, the, second, uh, the first messenger, prepares the way for Jesus, the second messenger. Now keep in mind what Malachi 3 verse 1 says. It says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, says the Lord of hosts. But then when we get to the New Testament, we're told that John the Baptist prepares the way before Jesus. So when you put that all together, what you get is that the coming of Jesus is the coming of Yahweh, the coming of the Lord. And this really is why the birth of Jesus is so amazing, incredible. The theological term for the birth of Jesus is the incarnation. 
we see that Jesus is God incarnate, which means that he is God in human flesh. The Lord of hosts said in Malachi 3.1 that the first messenger would prepare the way before me, the Lord. And then the New Testament says that this first messenger, John the Baptist, prepared the way before Jesus. Jesus is God incarnate, God in human flesh, God the Son. The coming of Jesus is the coming of Yahweh. And then Malachi 3 verse 1 also says, Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. That word suddenly means unexpectedly. And when you understand who Jesus really is, he is the Lord, then you can at least see a partial fulfillment of Malachi 3 verse 1 in what happened in in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 32. Jesus did come to the temple on more than one occasion, but the first time he came to the temple is in Luke chapter 2. Verse 25, and this is connected with our Christmas play last Sunday. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Messiah. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents that's Mary and Joseph, brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your, spirit, uh, your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared <clears throat> in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. <clears throat> So in this way, the glory of God had returned to the temple. You know, Haggai 2.9 said the glory of this latter temple would be greater than the glory of the former temple, and people didn't understand, well, how that could be. Well, in this way, the glory of God returned to the temple. But most people didn't realize it since all they saw was a baby. They didn't realize that this baby was God incarnate, that God again had come to the temple. Perhaps people in Judah were still asking, where is God? Now they were under the power of the Romans. They still had no king, no Davidic king. Where is God? Well, he is in the temple. He's in the person of the baby, Jesus. And what John's gospel tells us that is that he himself is a temple. John chapter 1, verse 1, Jesus is called the Word. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word 
was God. And so how could he be with God and also at the same time be God? Well, this is where the doctrine of the Trinity comes in. He is God the Son. And so in the beginning, he was with God, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. And he was God, God the Son. And then if we skip down to verse 14, it says, In the Word, God the Son became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Down to verse, uh, verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And there's an allusion to Exodus chapter 13 where Moses wants to see God and God shows to Moses some of his glory. The, the disciples, John included, see the glory of God in Jesus because he is God. Though veiled in human flesh, and that word dwelt in, in verse 14, uh, you may have heard this before, it, it could be translated tabernacled, which was the, uh, the building before the temple was constructed, uh, patterned after the tabernacle was the temple. Uh, and so it, it, what he's saying here is that as the temple, as the glory of God resided in the tabernacle and later the temple, Jesus himself is a temple. The glory of God dwells within him, and the disciples had seen his glory in that they saw what God is like when they looked at Jesus. And so he is a temple. So no one, no one could have guessed how, how Malachi 3.1 would have been fulfilled. You think of the first messenger, John the Baptist didn't turn out for him as, as people might have expected when they read Malachi 3.1 centuries before. John would be beheaded. And you think about Jesus. The way of the Lord that John prepared, that way would lead to a cross. God incarnate, God in human flesh, humbled himself to such a degree that he would come and die for us in such a cruel and humiliating way. It didn't turn out like the people had expected. God in human flesh living among us. God in human flesh being crucified. Like the people of Malachi's day, we might sometimes ask, where is God? You know, there's so much trouble in this world, and maybe there's trouble in our own personal lives. Where is God? Where's the God of, of justice who will work all of this out for my good? Where is he? We might be like the people of Malachi's day or the people of the first century waiting for the Messiah. What we see is that God did come. He came in flesh. They didn't expect that. And he's coming again, Scripture tells us. And, and as, as the prophets often do, uh, they combine both the first coming and the second coming of Jesus. That's what Malachi does. He says, who can endure the day of his coming? So when we look forward to the day of Christ's return, uh, as Christians, we, we think of it as a day of salvation, a day of, of, of hope, of resurrection. But it will also be a day of 
judgment. And John's message was a message of repentance to prepare the way of the Lord. And repentance is needed today to prepare the way for his second coming. Are you ready for that day? It seems the people weren't ready for the first coming of the Lord. Are you ready for his second coming? Have you put your faith in Christ? Have you repented? Have you turned, acknowledging your sin, uh, asked for forgiveness from God, uh, turned from it? Have you put your faith in Jesus and what he did for you on that cross? Just ponder for a moment who that is who was hanging, dying, suffering on that cross. It was God in human flesh. That speaks to the great, immeasurable love of God for us. Are you ready for that day when Jesus will return? During this season of Advent, we think back to his first Advent, his first coming, but we're also to anticipate uh, his second coming, his second Advent. Are you ready for that day? Will it be a day of salvation? Or will it be a day, as of now, for judgment? I encourage you to ponder this, think about this, Make sure you're ready for the return of Christ as he suddenly, unexpectedly came to the temple as a baby on that day. He is coming unexpectedly again. Will you be ready for that day?